The reading this evening is chapter 6 of the book of Nehemiah, which can be found on page 489 in the Pew Bibles. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his assistant to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, According to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us confer together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehatadabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, O oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them for many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was son-in-law 
to Shechaniah, son of Arah, and his son Jehohanan had married the daughter of Meshuzalam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Martin. I hope you'll excuse me not wearing my jacket. I think we're not far off 30 degrees today, so um, I, I took the liberty. What have you been doing on this um, roasting day? Anyone here, any ladies here involved in the race for life? Anyone still wearing pink? Oh, yes, there's one hand up there. Brilliant. Two. Brilliant. Well done. Not ideal weather for it. Um, Ideal weather, I'd have thought, for having a nice siesta. I don't know if any of you know this song. Links into my theme. Is that going to work? Far away. Today I don't feel like doing anything. I just want to lay in my bed. Don't feel like picking up my phone. So leave a message Cause today I swear I'm not doing anything uh, I'm gonna kick my feet up then stare at the fan Carefully faded out there um, the, 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 the lyric, Some of the lyrics are not repeatable in church um, the, the Lazy Song by um, Bruno Mars Well, to spend a day at home in your pyjamas, especially on a day like this And not doing your hair or makeup and slobbing around in your slippers is fine once in a while, at least that's what I reckon. Though it can be a bit embarrassing when someone comes to the door and sees you in your bunny slippers. But what if you never have a reason to get dressed? Sadly, there are many people in life who have little or nothing to get out of bed for. No aim in life, no overarching purpose. But that is certainly not the case for Nehemiah. Can you imagine him singing that song or wearing slippers like that? Nehemiah was a man with a very strong sense of calling. His internal compass was strongly attuned, and despite numerous attempts to deflect him, he would not be knocked off course. Nehemiah was a man of faith. He had a clear sense of priority that enabled him to achieve great things, despite significant opposition. And so it should be for Christians too. We have a clear calling. Like Nehemiah, we should also have a clear sense of priority that should motivate and enable us to achieve great things, despite the inevitable opposition that we will face. Nehemiah was totally committed to doing God's will as God's servant. It was his top priority. No mere mere involvement from Nehemiah. Nehemiah was totally committed. And it was his wholehearted commitment that ensured he made the course. You might be familiar with this rather helpful illustration that I found. um, That illustrates the difference between involvement and commitment. Have you heard of this one? You need to think of bacon and eggs. The chicken is involved. The pig is committed. (laughs) Well, we, like Nehemiah and the pig, need to be committed to God's work as our top priority, our overriding purpose, totally sold. 
on God's mission, something from which we will just not be distracted. That's the ideal. For Nehemiah, in his time, his clear mission was the restoration of the walls of Jerusalem so that God's chosen people could live safely. No doubt there was debate over exactly how those walls would be constructed, over the strategy, if you like, but the vision itself was non-negotiable. And for Christians in the 21st century, the non-negotiable mission is building God's kingdom, making followers of Christ. But the goal will not be easy to reach. Just as Nehemiah faced opposition as he tried to see his vision fulfilled, so will we. Well, hang on a moment, you might say. Nehemiah's situation was rather special. I mean, he was involved in a, in a massive public project with significant political dimensions. Isn't his talk of enemies somewhat inappropriate for our situation? Well, whilst the details are different, the principles are the same. The Bible is clear that to work to build God's kingdom is a project that will provoke opposition. Jesus warns his disciples of the inevitability of it, and he himself experienced it. The experience of the church, um, as recorded in Acts and subsequent history, demonstrates this very clearly. Opposition is par for the course. And it's not just human opposition that we face. According to Paul in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Opposition will come to anyone committed to seeing God's kingdom come. And so we can learn valuable lessons from the chapter in which Nehemiah deals with significant opposition. Well, in our story of Nehemiah, we reach a critical stage, the near completion of the work of restoring the wall. God's people are almost safe, and their enemies don't like it one little bit. And so we read of last-ditch attempts to scupper the work. Now focused, these attempts now focused on Nehemiah himself. Neutralize Nehemiah, goes the theory, and the work grinds to a halt. Well, it's, it's classic decapitation theory, isn't it? And one that is a strategy that is enacted with imagination and persistence. The coordinated opposition is a heady mix of deception, intimidation, blackmail, slander, and an enticement to sin. I'm not talking about a PCC meeting here. This is Jerusalem in 445 BC, plus a change. Dangerous times for Nehemiah, but we learn of his steadfast and resolve and of his commitment to his calling despite two major attempts to derail him and his work. I used to travel to school by train. It's not very far. Um, it was only about 10 minutes, but the journey was usually pretty straightforward. But occasionally, I would be significantly delayed on my way to school or from school because of attempts at vandalism. One seemingly um, popular thing at the time, I don't know if it still is, was to place large concrete blocks on the rail track. Now, this is particularly dangerous because you can easily derail a train this way and end up closing a stretch of railway for hours. And in the case of accidents that uh, could be caused, closing the track for days even. If not spotted, a relatively small item carefully placed could effectively paralyze a stretch of railway for a considerable length of time. 
Sanballat, Geshem, and Tobiah, with carefully planned schemes, make two major attempts to derail Nehemiah and his work. But both booby traps are spotted and diffused before they can do the damage intended. Each of the two attempts focus on a different way that we can be prevented from pursuing the calling that God has given to us. Two major dangers that can prevent us from making progress towards that destination. The first danger is equivalent to the train simply grinding to a halt. The second is equivalent to the train being derailed. In each case, we will consider the spiritual danger and the godly response. Well, the first assault on Nehemiah is a series of letters that aimed to distract and discourage him. The sending of five letters demonstrates a significant persistence of those who attempt to lure him away from the work and travel out to a remote village. But Nehemiah is not taken in. He knows that these troublemakers mean to harm him, and they're out to stop him in his tracks by any means possible. It strikes me that Nehemiah's response is remarkably restrained as he makes a respectful restatement of his priority in doing the great work of rebuilding the walls and his commitment to see that work continue. The simple but firm response is repeated on four occasions. Nehemiah will not be distracted from his work. Distraction is a very real danger for God's people. Like Nehemiah, we need to ensure that anything that distracts us from our God-given mission needs to be ignored. Well, with the fifth missive, there is a change of tack. Sent as an open letter, and I think we all know about open letters, this had the potential not only to intimidate Nehemiah himself, but also those, all those others who would learn of its contents. This letter contained the scurrilous suggestion that in building the wall, Nehemiah was preparing to revolt against the Persian authorities. Well, this strategy had a precedent. You can read about it in Ezra 4. A similar char charge was made um, not many years before and ended up securing an order for the then king, from the then king rather, that the work should cease. Well, Nehemiah's response to this pernicious suggestion is emphatic. Codswallop, he might have said. Uh, the NRV doesn't translate it that way. You lot are talking out of the backs of your heads. There are various other ways of rendering the Hebrew, I understand. But alongside his vigorous rebuttal, Nehemiah does, re does recognize that discouragement is a key danger. A key danger that he and his people are at risk of. And he knows that he can't simply depend on his strength of personality and his, and his bold words to keep the workers fortified and the work going forward. Nehemiah realizes that he needs God's help. He needs God's help to do the work. And so he prays, now strengthen my hands. Nehemiah's prayer in verse 10 reveals his conviction that the work is only possible by God's empowering. This conviction is stated again when the work was finally completed in verse 16. And throughout the book of Nehemiah, it's his constant language and sentiment. Right from the beginning when Nehemiah recognized that the king granted his request because the gracious hand of God was upon him. Nehemiah's dependence on God and his empowering is one of the two pillars on which his ability to do such a great work is built. The antidote to the danger of discouragement. 
we only achieve anything worthwhile by God's enabling. God gives us the desire and the resources to do the work. He makes the circumstances favorable, and he brings success. The Apostle Paul speaks of being God's fellow workers in the gospel and speaks of the different roles assigned to himself, Paul implanting the seed in Apollos and watering it, but makes the point that it is God who makes it grow. The psalmist makes a similar point in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. Building the walls and building the kingdom of God are God's work. And he provides the resources for it when we ask. Asking God to provide those resources, both spiritual and material, for his kingdom to come can be a confident prayer since we know that that prayer is in line with God's will. The godly response to the danger of discouragement is faithful dependence on God expressed in prayer. And as God provided the strength to Nehemiah, so he will provide it to us. As Paul was to say some 500 years later, as he strove to build the kingdom of God, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Our final point and the second assault on Nehemiah is by means of a false prophet. Hired by Tobiah, who intends not so much to dishearten and weaken Nehemiah, that the work grinds to a halt, as to cause him to swerve from the path. Where the first danger is discouragement, the second danger is disobedience. The Old Testament regulations concerning the temple made it clear that the sanctuary proper was an area into which only the priests were allowed to go. But by encouraging Nehemiah to take refuge in the sanctuary, Shehemiah was therefore enticing Nehemiah to sin. It was a cunning ploy. If Nehemiah had taken the bait and trespassed in this way, his standing would have been irredeemably undermined with the priesthood and with the people at large. Disobedience is the other key danger to which Nehemiah was at risk. But Nehemiah knew God's word, and he was able to judge that God had not sent Shemaiah, and that the prophecy had not come from God. All counsel, whether or not it purports to be prophetic, needs to be tested against the plumb line of God's word, God's infallible word. Nehemiah is again focused on that goal, and he's not distracted by this temptation. His overriding purpose is to be obedient to God, obedient to his calling to build the walls, but obedient to every expression of God's will, most supremely found in the scripture. And so when faced with the alternative of saving his own skin at the risk of disobedience, Nehemiah's priorities are rightly ordered. Nehemiah's obedience to God is the second of those two pillars on which his obedience on which his ability to do such great work is built. Dependence and obedience. Well, the New Testament also teaches that Christian leaders need good reputations in order to do their work. Without a good reputation, the work of building the kingdom is undermined. Furthermore, on a personal level, to start on a path of disobedience to God is often the ruin of those who want to achieve great things for God. Often it starts off just as a single thing relating to someone's personal life 
a single issue of disobedience, which someone persists in. But then it's like a, a weakness has been opened up. And as, when you're splitting wood, you often use a, a wedge to drive the wood apart. And this happens, it seems, in the lives of individuals who've opened themselves up to a way of disobedience. Of course, it is possible to turn back, and many people do, by God's grace. But sometimes the damage has already been done. Many have learnt with bitterness that the great project has failed. Nehemiah's prayer in verse 14 sheds rare but welcome and revealing light on his respect and humility in relation to God. Nehemiah commits his cause to God. Having followed the path of God's choosing revealed in Scripture and, and the other guidance that he had received, he's able to relax in confidence that God would do the right thing. God would do the right thing by him and by his opponents. He follows the biblical teaching that vengeance is God's alone. Nehemiah is prevented from being knocked off course, from being derailed by submitting to the authoritative leading of God's word. He knows that to do something that goes against that is to depart from God's ways. Nehemiah knew that the whole project belonged to God and that God would provide and that God would lead. His prayers to God to bring about his will and his deference to God's will revealed in his word were based on his total commitment to the call that God had made on his life to the vision that God had given him. The result of Nehemiah's commitment, obedience to and dependence on God was the near miracle of raising a wall in just seven weeks, 52 days. Nehemiah overcame the opposition that was mounted by the enemies without and the other troubles and challenges within. And the result was the respect of the surrounding nations who at last came to share Nehemiah's conviction that it was God's own work. And as we work to build the kingdom of God, dependent on and obedient to our great God, let us remember with Nehemiah that it is God's work that we are doing. And so we should echo the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen.